Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Up to this point in the past four sessions. And in the last session, we pursued various aspects of our inheritance. And if you remember this, this, this chart, that we drew on the flip chart here, this illustration. Our ultimate inheritance is God the Father, right? Um, he is like he was to the tribe of Levi, to his high priesthood, kingdom of priests, you and I today. The Father is our total and ultimate inheritance. Psalm 16, you are my portion and my cup. You are my inheritance. The lions have fallen to me in pleasant places and I have a goodly or a beautiful inheritance. It's this um, domain of fathering that he has given to me. Now when you understand that, he has given himself and he represents provision, protection, preservation. He represents fullness. Everything you ever need is going to be found in his identity and his, 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 his role over you as Father, right? We are heirs of God the Father, and we are joint heirs with His Son, the Lord Jesus. The Son is the the heir of the Father. What the Father has done in His good pleasure, He has taken you and I and engrafted us jointly together with all that the unique Son, the pre-existent Son, Christ, has. And so whatever He is privy to, He has given you and I. That's an awesome privilege. Right, we've labored these, these principles through various scriptures. Please consult the previous sessions so you can rehearse them. Amen. And now we're picking up from a long time of, of, of not continuing with these studies. So it's important to rehearse. So I think the most succinct, powerful descriptor of the church is this one in Hebrews 12, which describes you and I as we are the church of the firstborn. Describes our identity succinctly, but very, very very, very powerfully. So we are heirs of the Father and we are joint heirs together with His Son. He the Son is the heir of the Father. He the Son is the, the primogeniture. But He has crafted every single one of His other sons into the same status that He enjoys. Amen. Awesome privilege. So we are seated together with them in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The ultimate... Um, uh, the ultimate is that at the end of the age, God will have one son, a complete corporate pattern son, in the pattern and likeness of his first unique son, the Lord Jesus. Okay, And it's his desire to graft us into, that everyone into that, that entire dynamic of, of sonship. So all that Jesus has access to, I have access to. All that he's privy to, I too. Right, And he, he's called me in to share in his inheritance. A selfless, unselfish position. Whatever he has, he wants you. So he calls you, you my brother, from the same womb. Remember look at the scriptures, we emit from the same womb. We are all of the Father. They that are sanctified, and he who sanctifies. Or he says that we are all from one Father. 
It puts us at the same footing as He. We're not claiming equality, right? But He, he, he has drawn us into all. And this is the mystery of salvation. All that He is, He wants us to be. And all that He enjoys, He wants us to enjoy. Amen? And so, for example, if you looked at the old, the old principle of, of, of inheritance or heritage, we have a wonderful spiritual heritage. Our heritage, firstly, listen carefully, I said to you, is an identity. That was the first point we discussed. An identity as firstborn sons. Hebrews 1 verse 6 says, the son has inherited what? A more excellent name, better than angels. Right? Think about this. You outrank any angelic being. And your name, which is your identity, the writer of the book of Hebrews describes as better than angels. And we describe what better means, more excellent, in terms of its Hebrew counterpart meaning, means, yes, vastly different to, superior in quality, but it also, in terms of Proverbs, uh, more excellent things denotes threefold things, right? And threefold things means, three is the word that denotes substantial uh, substance, completeness, fullness. Something so solid, it's immovable. For example, the Bible says a threefold cord is not easily broken. So if I have a name which the Bible says is more excellent, and if my understanding of more excellent, it's threefold things. My descriptor as son in it contains the capacity to contain threefold things. That threefold thing is Father, Son, and Spirit. Because the Son in an earth-based context reflects Christ. Who are you? Peter asked him. You are what? You are Son, comma, you are the Christ, sorry, comma, Son of the living God. We know from Colossians, listen carefully, in Christ, the fullness of deity, Father, Son, and Spirit dwells. So whenever you think of the principle of Christ, repeat after me, Christ is a principle. Whenever you think of the principle of Christ, you think in this term, Christ, you have Father, Son, and Spirit. When Peter said, you are the Christ, he saw in a man that this man has got the fullness of Father, the fullness of Spirit, and the fullness of Son in him. But because he's a man on the planet, that whole dynamic is carried in the container of Son. So you are the Christ, comma, the Son of. Can you understand? Right? So the Son of Man, excuse me, my eyes are, I have to have a greater strength of glasses, uh, spectacles. Eyeballs have been balls of fire <laughs> the past few days, literally. Uh, so, right? so they manifest from time to time. Okay? Um, so pray for my eye. I need eye salve, like Revelation says, <laughs> to cleanse my sight. So, the sun in an earth-based context. That's why you must read the verse in Colossians carefully. It says, because the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. How? Bodily. The word bodily means, it alludes to, uh, the word in the Greek is corporeally. Anything, the word corporeal or the corporeal principle just means this. It's a big word that means basically this. Anything spirit, if it comes into an earth-based context. Spirit is? unseen. In the earth base, it's seen. Anything spirit, unseen, that comes into an earth base, seen reality, must manifest in flesh. Has got to come in flesh. Right? That's why even evil spirits seek a body.
to possess so they can express their, their work. He too, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, seeks a body. And a body thou hast prepared for me. This collective, right? The corporate son. So, uh, it's amazing, eh? Tell your neighbor, you can reflect the fullness of deity. Hmm? Yes, I believe any you know, God can reduce himself and he can put himself in Mary's womb. Think about that. A powerful God can shrink himself and locate himself in smallness. So, but my, my, my absolute conviction is this, that we, this is going to happen corporately. Now God is looking for a corporate son in whom to express his fullness corporately. Amen? And so, um, when, 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 when we think about this, brethren, if I can just focus on developing my sonship, I have got the potential to contain all of God. Right? God is looking for a place. The Son of Man is looking for a place to lay his head. The foxes have holes, etc. The birds have nests. But the Son of Man got no place in which to, in which to lay his what? Head. Everyone say head. What is the church? The body of Christ. Colossians says he is the Head of the body. The head is looking for a place, the body, to lay his, his head. He's looking for a place to rest. And my prayer is, when God looks at us as a corporate entity, God can say, see the group of sons. Now I can rest my mind. My head is my mind, my thoughts, my wisdom, my brilliance, my plans. All in the mind. Amen. So tell your neighbor, God's looking for a place to rest his head. And the head needs to rest on a body. Needs to rest on this body, corporate. Amen? The body of, of Christ. That being in place then, we looked at several scriptures that tell us, for example, our inheritance is salvation, it's eternal life. These are all the things we have. It's part of the package. We have immortality. Can't wait for this. Amen? Where this flesh will put on incorruption. Right? And we overcome the last enemy, which is death. Um, this is powerful. The Bible says we are inheritors of the kingdom. And there are all the scriptures that tell us about, or 90% of the scriptures that tell us that we've inherited a kingdom are all used as the basis to encourage us to live a pure life. It says, if you're going to inherit this kingdom, then stop your sensuality. Stop your lies. Stop this. Paul would say, stop that. Stop that. Right? And it says that they that do these things shall no ways inherit the kingdom. Amen. So it's always used as the basis upon which a motivation is launched to live a circumspect and a holy life before God. Amen. Right? Remember there are three levels. You shall sing. How does it go? John 3. Sing, entering and inheriting. Listen, man is born again, he shall not see the kingdom. Listen, man is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Then Colossians speaks and, 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 and verses in Ephesians speak about inheriting the kingdom. Three distinct levels of appropriating the kingdom. Seeing it, entering it, and then inheriting it. That's a separate study altogether. Okay? The Abrahamic promise and the Abrahamic blessing. We spoke at length about that. All the promises given to Abraham. Uh, God made a covenant with, with Abraham. It was an eternal covenant that he made 
um, within himself to himself. That he would have sons in the earth to, to represent him accurately and, and thoroughly. And I've adapted your notes somewhat in this respect. I did, did this last week sometime. As much as the Abrahamic promise and blessing, you and I are Abraham's seed through Christ. So indeed we are sons of Abraham through Christ. And then it says, and two heirs of the promise. So all the promises given to him are ours. The promises are, yes, they include material wealth and to be blessed in all dimensions. But you know, God's, God's, one of God's promises made to Abram is, I will make your name great. Hmm? Remember he said this to him? He says, I will make your name great. So then what is his name? At that stage, this is Genesis 12. His name was Abram. In Genesis 17, where God re-echoes the blessing, indeed I will bless you, but your name shall no longer be called Abram. Now your name shall be called Abraham. Abram means what? High father, exalted father. Abraham means what? Father of a multitude. Always look at this. It's Abram, exalted or high father, and it's changed to so I think this way, exalted father Abraham, and Abraham is father of a multitude, right? Until you exalt the principle of father as a priority, it can never ever be expressed latitudinally um, over a vast number of people, right? Now, name is identity and destiny. When we discuss this, it's, it's, na- it's nature and, and function. So part of the Abrahamic promise is this, I will make your name great. What name? Father over a multitude. Now tell your neighbor that's your name too. (laughs) In other words, the, the, the promise in this respect, part of our inheritance is to have a fathering disposition within us over multitudes of people. And remember the verse says, and in us all the families of the earth are, are blessed. Amen. So I want to encourage you. Shan, you have a fathering anointing. Right? All of us have a fathering grace. Elvis, you have a fathering grace. Carol, you have a fathering grace. You have a fathering grace, as young as you are. Right? All of you have a fathering grace. You know what? We are to represent who to the nations? We are to represent our father to the nations of the earth. Okay, it's part of our Abrahamic promise and and blessing. Then it says, the earth is the Lord and the the fullness thereof. The world and all that is in it. One verse, Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, comma, the world and all that is in it, including the nations. Right? So the planet and its system, its regulatory policies, uh, patterns by which it was designed to perpetuate itself in the purposes of God, all that's in it, including the nations, are ours as part of our inheritance. Amen? This is awesome. Amen? Uh, tell your neighbor, hold the world in your hand. Right? Hold the world in your hand. I really believe God is expanding our sight. I'm really, my faith recently has been enlarged, really enlarged. 
new nations are going to open up to us. All right? We've just put plans in place now to revisit Nakala now. Spoke to Thamo yesterday. We're going to go back possibly in September with him. Right? Because we're in apostolic, authentic apostolic presence. And if we can take one of the prophets, probably Sean, again. We have strategy to invade nations. Why? They are given to us as our inheritance. Psalm 2 or Psalm 8. Remember it says, ask of me and I will do what? I'll give the nations as your inheritance. And the ends of the earth as your as your possession. But what verse precedes that? Before, we even sing the song, Ask of Me. But the verse before that says, You are my son. Today I've decreed you as my son. Now ask of me. You see, some of us are asking before we've come into sonship. Only the son can ask these kinds of things. Amen. So has the Lord put a nation on your heart? Amen. I have a new desire for the nations. Honestly, it's a growing, burgeoning desire, which I believe that is planted there by the Lord. Amen. And you're going to see the Lord's going to give us nations to steward, nations to infect with His purposes. After all, we're going to live out Matthew 28. Go into all the world, teach and baptize all nations in the name, the nature of Father, Son, and Spirit, which is Christ, teaching them uh, to observe all things whatsoever I have, commanded you and lo i am with you until the end of the age the assurance of his promise to be present lo i'm with you the assurance of an ever abiding presence is only given to those who are fulfilling the commission Hmm? who wants an ever abiding presence that's why we are unafraid to go anywhere in the planet now we'll even go to the capital of malaria Okay. Where we went last is the capital, literally, of malaria infestation and infection. Now, even when we were there, we discovered there's a new strain that the uh, medication cannot treat. But we're in the midst of it. But lo, I am with you. No physical obstacle is a prohibit, prohibition to us to fulfill plans and purposes and promises. Uh, I put a song on Facebook. I was singing and worshiping the Lord this afternoon on the piano. And my my mind went back to uh, Nathaniel van Weyck, who taught me a lot musically years ago. Taught me this song, I Feel Like Going On. Some of you know it? I feel like going on. Okay, mustn't sing. (laughs) Julian was editing one of these things today, one of the uh, soul prosperity messages, and I heard myself singing. So, no, no, mustn't sing again. (laughs) Okay, please just note this time. Edit this part out. Um, and I feel uh, I was singing a song I feel like going on I feel like going on though trials come at every hand Marvin Wine sings it you must YouTube it powerful I listened to it again this afternoon on YouTube though trials come on every hand I feel like going on right David encouraged himself in the Lord his God right and uh, I believe he did it by the Psalms the Psalms are songs that this king composed right and so do you embrace the totality of your inheritance do you accept this right i think of it like this this is the ultimate if you get this you get all of this it's the father's good pleasure he says it's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom amen i want to encourage you become a possessor of all that you have where there's a will 
I want to be in it. Amen? He has a will, an inheritance. Uh, the Lord ministered to me this afternoon, don't shrink back from the things which I've placed for you. Don't shrink back. Rise up with new determination. You have an inheritance in me. I've given you so much if you only see it. Do you know what Paul prayed? That's why I pray that our eyes would be open. I think I've, I've put it here in your note. I'm sure it's here. Uh, this verse, the last page, page 10. Um, Paul prayed this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I pray the eyes of your heart be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now think of it like this. As much as we have an inheritance in him, which is father, he has an inheritance in us. And Paul prayed, and I'm praying this for myself, Randolph, if you can see it, you can possess it. And Paul prayed that the eyes of our, of our hearts or understanding be enlightened. We might know what is the hope of his calling. And so Paul is praying that every single one of us, that our eyes be open to this reality. The reality is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. God has got vested interests in you. As you look to him for you as your inheritance, do you know what he says about you? But you are my inheritance. <laughs> this is the flip side of the coin now. Right? Let me just show you, I'm sure the other scripture, look at Deuteronomy 32 verse 9. The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted in heritage. Or allotted heritage or inheritance. Amen? So, as much as you look to him for yours, he looks to you to appropriate what he has given you so that he can come to possess his inheritance in you. Right? Can you understand? It sounds difficult. Right? So, he's saying to you, he's saying, um, Renee, Appropriate the eyes of your understanding be open to the glory of the riches of what of what I'm looking for as my inheritance in you. He's looking for gold in you. He's looking for riches in you. And God is saying, I've given you something that I have set up as my inheritance in you. But for you to come to that, you must start to appropriate what your inheritance is in me. As you appropriate what I've given to you in me, I, God, will come to enjoy what I've programmed you to be as a heritage to me. Hmm? God wants a return on his investment. <laughs> Amen? Isn't God a genius? Amen? So we can sing, you are my inheritance, the Lord is my inheritance, etc. I can hear God singing. Hey, but you are my inheritance to me. As much as I think that to him, he wants to disclose that same thought to me. Amen. Hallelujah. God is amazing. I like the way William Hinn says it. We serve an amazing God. <laughs> an amazing God. I like the way when he prays, God, you're amazing. <laughs> 
It's just you can hear the heart of the man enthralled by his God. You know, just so awesome. Amen. Let's get back to the study. Okay, I didn't plan to say all of that. That was just the Holy Ghost. Let's get to the study, which we will not finish. Okay, but we're going to start it this evening. Amen. Amen. Do you? Uh, this was God. I hadn't planned to do all of this, but I really just feel that you know. Don't forget the principle of meditation. I taught meditation over several sessions. Meditation mustn't just be something we do as a theme in study. It must be a practice of your life. Everything we do, you must meditate on. Right? Even if you have to draw this diagram every more every morning, say to yourself, "Father is my inheritance." Go to this. This is what He has given me. God has given me the earth. God has given me nations as mine. He has given me the world and its systems to appropriate. Remind yourself, ruminate and meditate upon the things that you have been given. And what the scripture says in Second Peter uh, 3, I think, verse 1 or verse 2, He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through exceeding great and precious promises. God has given us all things that we need, both for this life and in the life hereafter. Amen? So I want to encourage you, appropriate your inheritance. Now here's the challenge that I want to leave with us. This particular study, the topic is inheritance to the mature son. Inheritance cannot be accessed by an immature son. Okay? Now here's the... Uh, let's just read Galatians chapter 4 from verse 1 to 7. Now I say, so as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything, but is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were under, while we were children, we were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Uh, Sean shared this, this message on adoption two weeks ago, remember? And remember, he made the statement about a placement, a setting. Um, in the Greek, uh, we'll do this later. Um, when you're adopted, you are literally placed as a son into the family into which you have been adopted. But you have all the rights of a biological son. Right? And you could not, um, your status as a son, once adopted, could not be rescinded, cancelled in, in any way. Okay, it was such a powerful enactment. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son and heir. So here's the thing. If you are a son, what are you also an heir? So sonship implies inheritance. If you say son, what you're automatically saying is, I therefore am privy and have access to all that my father has for me. Right? Now please remember it says, Verse 7, you are an heir through God. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, we are an heir of God. Right? You are an heir of God simply because you are an heir through God. Right? 
Right? Two powerful portions of Scripture to cross-reference. You can write the reference now down near there. It's Romans 8, 16 and 17. An heir of him. Right? You're only an heir of him because you're an heir through him. He has made you his son. Taken you and you've been adopted into his family. Placed, set as a son. You're made an heir through God. But by virtue of sonship, you're an heir also of God. The point, sadly, is in verse 1. If, however, you are an heir by your status as a son, if in your sonship you are still childish, you differ no more than a slave. Although you are a son, and what does a slave, what rights do slaves have in their master's house? Literally nothing. You have no claim on any of the, the assets of the master's estate, but sons do. In fact, if you are a slave, you are driven by work, performance, to please your master, to earn some kind of uh, remuneration or favor uh, from him. But a son does not work to earn. A son just bees. Right? To access inheritance as a son, you literally do not have to do anything. You just have to show up. As a son, okay? Matthew, Liam, um, Luke, and Ray are my natural children. And I was sharing with them in our family devotion last night, Galatians 4. We have MD at home. And so Ray reminded me yesterday. She did an MD from a little storybook um, about how the children came to Jesus and he blessed them. She's telling us and she prayed. And so she reminded me, Dad, your turn's tomorrow. I want to hear what you want to say. So because I was ruminating on this passage i'm trying to explain to them galatians 4 in very simplistic terms so i said to them you're all my children and you're all in my will if mommy and daddy die one day um, you're all going to get something of our wealth and what we have so i said to them none of you will have to do anything to access it all you have to be is my son or my daughter right so you just be and you have access to what i have so I said to them, our domestic worker, and I alluded to Tembi, our domestic worker is not my natural offspring, right? So I can, if I want to, include her in the world, but that will be something extra I will do because of my kindness and my benevolence. But I said, you guys don't have to do anything, right? Just by the fact that we, you've issued forth from our loins, you are in, right? And Luke said, hooray! <laughs> in the world yes. getting something right Ray then immediately said the iPad is mine <laughs> first the iPad is mine That's all I want is the iPad <laughs> she stakes her claim almost immediately so I said there's nothing you really have to do all you have to do is maintain the connection as my son and be the son and it's, you just get it God the Father has said something similar to us I've given you so much all you must just focus on is developing this Developing sonship. And I've, I've adopted you. God's saying, I've brought you in. I've put you in the world. But while you are in, your right of inheritance is not automatic. Because if while you are in my last will and testament, as a son, you exhibit tendencies of immaturity as a child, then God says, you really, while in my house, you're really no different than a slave. Although you are a son having... So what is the biggest thing 
that prevents access to inheritance. Immaturity. Immaturity is the biggest hindrance to accessing your inheritance in God. Let me read this again. Then I'm, I'm going to explain uh, what this verse passage means contextually, then symbolically or spiritually. Read it again, slowly, with understanding. Please, I decided not to rush anymore. Let's take our time. Read the scripture again and go home with something to ruminate on so that we can thoroughly process this in your own spirit. Read it again and apply it to, your, to yourself. I said, when I, when I ruminated over this portion in preparing this note for weeks and weeks, um, I said, Lord, I do not want to be a child even though I'm positioned for much. But by virtue of my childishness and immaturity, I forego so much even though I'm your heir. Hmm? So I was trying to explain this to Ray. So I said to her, take the captive keys and just Tomorrow I'm not taking you to school. In fact, you can have the car. It's yours now. Uh, you can take yourself to school. And she said, whoa. You know, the reaction. Uh, an indication of, I, I won't even know where to start. Right? I can even put the car in my will in a name now. But she will never access it. Practically. Why? Positionally, legally, she's got it. But experientially, no. Why? Unlicensed. Immature has not developed sufficient skill to handle that aspect of our inheritance. So what is God expecting of you and I? Grow up, grow up, grow up. Otherwise, certain things, while they are given, will never be practically accessed. And I'll show you. Let's just read this again. Now I say to you, so long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of? Everything. It's amazing. He owns everything, but because of immaturity, he's no different than a slave. But he's under what? He's under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father when he will come. So God says, so long as you're immature, you're always going to need guardians and managers until a time that I set that will take you out of slavery into sonship and into practical appropriation of your inheritance. But here's the thing. So, what does all this mean? He explains. So we also, he says, while we were children, we were held in bondage under the elemental things of this world. In other words, the worldly system that drove our carnality and our sin. When the, but when the fullness, everyone say but. So verse 3 describes the position of a slave. But verse 4 starts to change everything. It says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, verse 2 says, the slave, is, the slave element is cancelled at a date set by the Father. Then he says, in when? In the fullness of time. You want to say time? A date set by the Father. The Son came and He sent forth the Spirit of His Son. He came to redeem those who are under the law from the curse. And He has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, 
Abba, Father. And he says, therefore we are no longer a slave. Repeat after me, no longer a slave. He says, but now you cancel that slave dimension and you now start to operate as a son and you're an heir through God by the spirit of adoption. So contextually, this means that those that were under the law uh, could not keep the law. The law was powerless to mature us into sonship. The law existed to expose sin and the inability of men to keep the law. Right? So, so long as you were under the law, which contextually is the tutor and the manager or the guardian, right? until the time set by the father, which was in the fullness of time, he sent forth his son, born of a woman, to redeem those, under the law, to redeem those that were from the curse under the law. And he sent forth the spirit of his son into their hearts, by which they cry, Abba, Father, therefore they are no longer slaves, but is through God, you are no longer a slave. Your journey to access your inheritance starts by your acceptance of Christ as your Lord and Savior. In the fullness of time, when you said yes to Christ, guess what? When you started this journey in your walk with God, you started exiting the slave dimension. And you started coming in to Christ. Now Paul is writing to Christians. These Galatians had a tendency to revert back to the law. So saying, don't go there, because if you go back to law-based Christianity or law-based religion, you're going to cancel your ability to access your inheritance as a son, right? Because that law will keep you under sin. So he says, we are no longer in bondage to the elementary principles of this world that hold us in sin, because that, that is what the law will do, will keep you under that domain. But Christ who came, sent forth the spirit of his son by adoption into your hearts, gives you the capacity to cry, Abba, Father, and to live a life, listen carefully, above the rudimentary principles that govern the, the world. So if in your sonship you're still reverting back to worldly pursuit, worldly standards of life, your old life, it's tantamount to digressing from out of sonship back into position of a slave, governed by elementary principles of this world. Christ has come to cancel that, but you must not revert back to that. Right? It, it speaks of an immature position. I'll show you uh, more scriptures to this effect in, in a moment. It speaks to an immaturity. Right? Um, I'm no longer a slave to the elemental things of this world. Now leave the law. Think about a slave to uh, systems that govern this world. Um, Paul calls um, a group of people the sons of disobedience. You submit yourself to sensual lust, uh, to carnality. You revert back to principles by which govern the world, to which once you were previously enslaved. But Paul is saying, break all of that off and come into the spirit of sonship. And I'll show you how now the son can overcome sin. Amen? The son can overcome sin. But so long as you're in bondage to these things, inheritance is consistently deferred. Consistently deferred. Right? Consistently deferred. On page 2, the spiritual application of this, the reference to guardians and managers could also refer to spiritual fathers. 
in a spiritual sense, whom God has placed over your life to form the nature of His Son within you. Okay? To form the nature of His Son within you. Right? They are placed over us through the Word. They facilitate the formation of Christ in us. This process must not be despised nor underestimated. At 12 years old, Jesus thought he was prepared to do his father's business. After a reprimand from Joseph and Mary, he subjected himself to them for how long? For 18 years. And only at 30 years old, at his baptism, to the heavenly father firm and validate his sonship by decree, declaring, this is my beloved son, my Uios, mature son. This is my Uios in whom I am. Well, please. And Jesus could then begin a public ministry of expressing his father's, expressing his father's will. I'm going to allude to this passage in a while when we, we, we speak about um, a particular expression of sonship. Okay, if we get there, that will get there um, by, by this evening. But remember at 12 he was ready to go, eh? I must be about, at 12 he said, I must be about my father's business, yet being unprepared. Right? And what did he do? He needed a guardian and a manager in his life. Joseph and Mary were positioned. And he subjected himself to the member, Hupotasso. They put his life into right arrangement. At 12, he was ready to go. But he was kept for 18 years, which is 6 plus 6 plus 6, 6 being the number of man. 3, 3 times 6 is 18. 3 being the number of completeness. Mary and Joseph brought balance, arrangement, completeness to his humanity in God, right? At 30, which is maturity, he starts something that he thought he was ready to do 12, at 12 years old, 18 years before. But in three years, he finished. It's like, sometimes, sometimes you can do more from a higher place of maturity than you think you can do being lesser matured, taking longer. Right? You understand? It's like, it's like in three and a half years, he wound up the purpose for his birth and his placement on the planet. Hmm? I'm saying, you know, God has deferred some things to me only for the season. And I'm saying, thank you, God, that these things were not unveiled to me at a previous time of my immaturity. But I've grown sufficiently to a degree in certain respects in God for him to place certain things upon my, my, my shoulders as a responsibility. And now I'm ready to give stewardship to some things, even in nations, even which two years ago I would have failed hopelessly and aborted divine purpose. Do you understand? So God will take his time, wait for you to mature so that you can do things with, ef with, with efficiency, with efficacy, with productivity, with proficiency, with swiftness that you thought ordinarily you would have done in a prior season of immaturity. Remember, I'm thinking of, uh, was it Moses who killed the two slaves, killed the two Egyptian masters? Remember? At 40, he killed two, right? And he was banished. But at 80, he delivers about 6 million Israelites, right? At a late, at the later stage of his life, far more mature, has greater jurisdictional authority over a domain now to deal with not just with the slave driver he deals now with the king that's instructing the slave driver 
When you defeat the king, you release the nation. But if you're fighting one slave driver, you deliver that one Israelite. Amen? Can you see how authority grows in the spirit? Now, who would like for your authority to grow? Amen? I'm praying, God, you see, unless, that's why Paul prays, I pray that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. God must open the eyes of our hearts to see for you to locate where you are in terms of what realm, what jurisdiction, what area, what domain, what sphere of authority has God unveiled to you now in this season. And in what areas you still need to grow up for you to exercise that, that degree of, of procuring your inheritance, but now with a vastly different level of authority. Okay? You can choose to fight one slave driver at a time, and even kill one at a time. Or you can allow God to kill a whole Egyptian army for you in the sea later on. Moses was prepared 40 years earlier to fight them one at a time. Remember? But God said, don't worry. With, if you do it my way, I'll take their whole strength, military might. And in one moment, I'll sort them out for you. Right? That's the impulse that I feel in God. Amen? Don't you feel empowered? I feel like we can do more now than we never, we've ever done before. Right? Thank God he didn't send you out prematurely. Hmm? Thank God we didn't give certain things. There's something that unveiling now with, with cattle with the haven. It's only coming into view now. Right? Um, on the 3rd of June, we're going down there. Uh, where Roy with, it was administrating the haven uh, takes place meetings every, I think, Tuesday. For how many years now they went? 15? 28 years. And I've been ministering there recurrently uh, the past 10 years or so. Sean has been, Renee has been, Kel has been uh, frequent uh, minister there because she lived in Toti for a long while before she relocated. But you know what happened? That guy now, he said his season is up. And now that the entire mandate has been given to one of our sons to steward. Right? And he said uh, on, on the 3rd of June it's being handed over to us. He wanted me in the meeting. You know what that means? We now have a portal of entry into Mams and Toti. Amen? It's going to be wonderful. Amen? Amen. Eh? What is God doing by His Spirit? He's giving to us jurisdictions of influence. And God is saying, I've given you Toti. Okay, the world is big. Let's come down here to the south coast. Small. I don't think we can put this on the map somewhere here. Small little dot here. God is saying, I'm, I'm gonna, and you know what I feel the Lord is saying prophetically? I'm saying, I will test your heart with that small little place. If you can prove faithful there, there's no telling what other jurisdictions I will give to you. Hmm? Powerful things. And these things we don't seek after. They're things that simply come to us. Amen? Ask of me. I want to encourage you, all of you. If you want to do this, just enlarge your capacity. Enlarge your capacity. Say, God, I want the bigger, I want the grander. And it's not ambitious. In the season, this is not about ambition. It's about simply recognizing, let your eyes be open to the fullest extent of the inheritance that the Lord has graciously bestowed upon us. Amen? Awesome. Amen. Hallelujah. This is my beloved son in whom I am. I am well pleased. Amen. Now,
Okay, I'll introduce this now, but we will not have time to prosecute it thoroughly. There are five levels of sonship um, that are known. Each one indicates a different level of maturity and progression into the fullness. Remember Ephesians 4 speaks about that the fivefold ministry was given for the perfecting of the saints. Everyone say perfecting of the saints. So the, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher were given to perfect you, bring you to maturity. Everyone needs to be brought to maturity. We all do. And God has given specialist ministries for that purpose. But the perfect state is further described like this. It says, until we all come to what? To the fullness of the measure of the stature that belongs to Christ. That is the, 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 the objective. That's it. Always keep your mind. Have I got, ask yourself this question. Have I got, have you got the fullness of the measure of the stature that belongs to Christ? It says, comma, unto a perfect man. Be perfect as your heavenly father is. Perfect. God wants perfection. That perfection is the measure of Christ in you. He has given five specialist ministries to craft and shape the Christ in, in you. Because God wants you perfect, in perfect stature. Now, remember Isaiah 9 verse 6 says, Unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. The child is born, but the son is given. The son given is the child born. The child is born, the son of man is born, but he must grow up into what he has already been given. It's not like when you start the journey, it's something you grasp in after. No, it's programmed within you. It's simply a coming into what you already have. Right? Remember Jesus in Matthew 2, the wise men that looked for him came and they, what do they ask? What's the question? Where is he who is what? Born king. Not where is he who is going to become king. Now if they, if they saw the babe wrapped in the manger, what did they see? They saw the child born, but the child born was already the son given, the king given. So the, the estimation of a young baby is, this is the king. <laughs> where is he who is born? King. And although their perception of kingship was somewhat warped, because they understood the political king, king of the... Jews, not king of kings. Although it was somewhat lesser than what it should have been, but the point being they understood, already programmed into this being is kingship. We as kings, oriental kings from the east, there were many of them, we have come to recognize another king. And although he's in an infant, he's in a stage called infancy, yet when we see him, we don't see him for where he is. We see him for what is already programmed within him to be. That's the way God sees you. God says, you already have the mature state, the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ in you. And though externally, practically, and experientially, when we observe your life, we don't see you exactly there yet. Right? And it's not like grasping after what you should be. It's about more allowing what he has made you to be, to become within you. It's like he must increase, but I must decrease. John 3.30, Right? Your decrease in terms of your childishness and the increase of the maturity um, is mutually dependent. 
As he increases, you decrease. It's not as you decrease, he increases. It says that he might increase, but I must decrease. Okay? So my prayer is, even as I, um, this morning I woke up, I said, Lord, just increase. Increase the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ in me. Let every bit of childish expression, carnal expression, natural expression in Randolph dissipate in the light of all that you desire to bring to the fore in me because you are the sun in me increasing and I must decrease. Okay, we won't go through this entirely. Just one stage maybe we'll look at. But there are five stages more or less. Um, Nepios, Pidon, Technon, Neoniskos, and Euos. Um, in some Greek um, dictionaries, it is Eos, right? Both mean the same thing. Right? I prefer the first one, Euos. So uh, let's just say them off to be Nepios, Pidon, Technon, Neonkos, and Euos. Right? Five stages of development into son. Amazingly, all these words are translated either son or child in the New Testament. In some cases, son, but it means something completely different. The last stage is the perfectly mature stage, which is euios. That is the stage that is described of the Lord Jesus himself. Do you remember, let me just uh, allude you to this. Remember our key passage is Romans 8, 29 for the series. Right? Romans 8, 28 and 29. We know that all things work together for the good to those that love God, for those that call according to his purpose. For those whom we foreknew we also predestined that they might be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn in or among many brethren so what is our conformity unto it says that they might be conformed to the image of his son so if i'm going to be conformed to something the image that i must subscribe to that must be molded in me it says is the image of his everyone say s-o-n but the S-O-N used in Romans 8.28 is Euios. It's not any of the other terms. It's not Nepios, Pidon, Technon, or Nian, Niskos. None of those. So that's always the standard to which I must migrate to. Conformity is to that standard. right? Perfectly mature, perfectly complete son. Amen? As I teach these things, I am declaring them over you. Conscientizing you. That you can be mature. That's why Paul says, when I was a child, I spake like a child. But now that I've grown old, I've put away childish things. Some years ago, I did a study on put away. Put away means be to, re, to reduce. When he, when he says, oh, yes, I thought this was Legos. I saw these, there was a lot of these Lego things you, child's play, you know, Lego blocks. So when I was a child, I spake like a child. If, okay, maybe Lego is not a good example because even 40-year-olds can play with Legos in a constructive way. <laughs> right, what can we use? What? I can't give an example. Some toy. A doll. If, if I find Renee still picking up a doll, who play dolly house and, right? I'll tell her, put, that was fine and we'll even condone it and encourage it when you were two and three years old. But now that you are 46, seven, six. Now that you are 46, 
Um, that activity is not befitting your proclaimed level of maturity. Right? So Paul says, when I was a child, I spake like a child, but now that I'm mature or old, he says, I took the child, yes, in the Greek, I took the childish things and I put it away. Sorry between that. I put it away. It means to literally violently reduce, the Greek word means to reduce to a place of total redundancy or inactivity. Certain childish traits need to be put away. Okay? They need to be put away. Okay? Let me just look, look at the first stage. I won't be long with this. The first stage is nepios. Okay, we'll just we'll we'll end at a quarter past eight. First stage is nepios. I've extracted these from Sam Solin's website. I sent an email to him requesting permission to quote, and he graciously responded by saying we have his complete blessing to do so. The parts in the normal bold here are directly a quote from his website. Then the parts after every verse that appear in italics are my commentary. Right? So all the other normal font in your notes are directly from Sam's website, and the parts in italics are my... So he says, Nepios is an infant... A baby, not old enough to speak or function. And I examine this, this word in the Greek. Ne, N-E, literally means it's a negative. It negates something that comes. And the pios means capacity to utter. So nepios, it's like someone who's at the inability to articulate or speak. Like an infant, right? Infant simply is born and what does it say? What? Christ, right? It, whatever, if it wants milk or bread or whatever, it cannot formally articulate those requests in an intelligible manner. Here's a summation of what a Nepio son is. Listen carefully. I'll read Sam Solon's uh, summation of these points and then we'll illustrate these through the scriptures that he has highlighted. Okay, the Nepio son, this is an infant of God's house who makes sounds of selfish whining concerning his own provision and protection. Right? You whine and complain and your focus is my needs, my provision, and my protection. The child is in the house and an heir, but not mature enough to have the right of inheritance. This child is easily influenced by various circumstances, teachings, and the schemes of men. He is given to jealousy, quarreling, divisions, and boasting. He is in desperate need of tutors and guardians to agree with the Spirit and to unveil his or her maturity. A powerful, succinct way of describing the Nepios person. So if any of those descriptors apply to you, you know where you are in your sonship. Right? Now let me illustrate all of that by various passages of Scripture. Galatians 4 verse 1 and 2. Uh, we see this, so long as the heir is a nepios, right? He does not have access to his inheritance. Ephesians 4 verse 11 to 16. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Fivefold ministry for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to what? 
to a mature man to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. Can you see that? That's our standard, our objective. Verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children. Nepios. And how does this nepios childlike position, is? how is it described? Tossed here and there by waves carried by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Right? So if you are prone to being easily swayed or influenced by scheming men who use trickery, especially couching the trickery using doctrine or the word of God, it's proof that you are so easily swayed by somebody else's opinion that is false. Because the next verse says, we must speak the truth. So the previous verse denotes speaking error in deceit. To counteract that, you speak the truth. But how do you speak the truth? You speak the truth in love. We are to grow up into all aspects. Everyone say all aspects. Every single one of us, brethren, all of us, must grow up into all aspects in Christ. Not some, all aspects. Into Him who is the head, even, even Christ. Let me just read what I wrote here. Verse 15, that is speaking the truth in love, suggests that maturity is then exhibited in one who embraces the truth, as opposed to being easily deceived by error or scheming of men, and also speaks this truth motivated by and couched in divine love. Right? It's not sufficient to speak the truth. You've got to speak the truth in, in great love. Not so? Right? By embracing truth in a culture of love, we are able to grow up into Christ. Because it says we, we speak the truth in love and we are able to grow up into Him in all things. Right? By embracing the truth in the culture of love, we are able to grow up into Christ. Error and the absence of love highlight our state as infants in Christ. Right? Infants in Christ. Here's a classic portion. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh. That's carnal. As to infants in Christ. I gave you to drink milk, or milk to drink, not solid food, for you were yet not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able for you are still what? Remember I sent this email yesterday or the day before? When are you still fleshly? He doesn't say you are fleshly. He says still fleshly. When are you yet still carnal? You are still fleshly, still carnal when there's jealousy and strife among you. Right? I'm feeling a conviction here in the, in the house. Right? Let me say this honestly. I was convicted as well. I'm saying, if you look, um, there mustn't be no jealousy or strife, right? Jealousy is rooted in covetous over somebody else's portion, possession, or position. If you're covetous of somebody else's lot, 
a root of jealousy starts to set in. And you don't rejoice when your brother excels, but you covet. Strife, which is fighting or tension in relationships. Think, this is serious, brethren. No matter how spiritual you can purport to be, you can espouse and declare, I, and you even think in your mind, I possess a certain level of sonship. If in your life, listen carefully, you are prone to being influenced by the trickery of men using doctrine which is erroneous and so unseats you. And it's done in the absence of a culture of love. If also you are prone to strife and fightings and tensions in your relationships, and if there's any semblance of jealousy, then be under no misnomer, you are still an infant in Christ. When Paul writes this, he says, Now I can't talk to you like spiritual men. And how does he classify infancy? He says, I, I talk to you as infants because you cannot bear solid meat. You have need of what? Of milk. Can you see how, it's so important, that we expunge jealousy and strife from our system? That the presence of jealousy and strife hinders one's ability to access, understand, and obey meatier or weightier matters. When Paul says, I could not speak, literally for our context, that would mean God would say to us, there is a limit to which I can release certain things to you based on your condition. Right? So what is the corporate sense of responsibility that should rest upon us all here? How many of you want God to speak more weighty things to us? From here. Right? From, I really want the, the weighted things. I would hate for God to come to me once. They ran off. That's only much to say to you to give you. But the presence of strife and jealousy in your world forbade me from even giving it to you. Right? right? So can we repent of strife and jealousy? Right? And being easily swayed by, by, by the cunning trickery of men? Right? Um, we counseled someone today, broke my heart, literally broke my heart, right? Totally deceived. When I looked, and there was literally, I was powerless. Literally nothing I could do to convince the person, or anything I could do to convince the person, otherwise, otherwise, to see an influence that this person exposed themselves to from somebody outside of this house, Exposed and now has a view so dogmatically entrenched and is on a path of error that for my part all I can do is pray ardently and daily, literally daily for, for this person. Amen? Don't underestimate this. For as long as you remain an influence, you get prone to be influenced by the trickery of men. Eh? So the demand is, why is the fivefold given? So you must grow up coming to the full measure. So it says that we be not like Nepios children, being tossed to and fro by every whisper, every wind of doctrine. And let me say, a wind of doctrine needn't come to you in a formal teaching where it's a doctrine. Somebody's view or perception can be erroneously founded. They share that with you. You must be strong and mature enough in terms of everything I have taught you up to this point, to recognize error, right? And error can come by content and by spirit. Do you know that? Error can come by, uh, Paul talks about the spirit of error, 
right? It can come by uh, another gospel, another Christ, right? There's another separate teaching we must do at some stage. So be very, very careful about these things, right? First Corinthians 13, 8, quickly. We're almost done. I love this passage. What is the, what is the theme of 1 Corinthians 13? Gentlemen, you know, you should know this. The love chapter, eh? love is, and it's, I'm dying to start the love series. Oh, this is going to be an awesome series. If I had my way, I would shelve this right now. Honestly, this series on firstborn and commence the love thing. I've been revisiting it. Um, my love notes. Remember the love notes we should share? Few, few, right? And you know, I've been reading First uh, John, the epistles. If you can perfect love, you perfect God, literally. That's what John said. If you can perfect love, you can perfect divinity. Amen? Now, so the love chapter, then he says in verse 8, is winding up now. So love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there's tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part, and we prophesy in, in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a Nepios child, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child. Think like a child. Reason like a child. When I became a man, what did I do? I put away, I, I reduced to inactivity and total redundancy childish behavior in my life. Not so? For now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also am fully known. But now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now follow with me, listen carefully in the note. In context, childishness equates to operating with great proficiency in the gifts of the Spirit, devoid of love. Right? Never ever get impressed by someone that operates with great proficiency in spiritual giftedness. And you get impressed by the skillfulness of the operation of the gift. If the gift is not founded on love, it makes a skillful operation in the gift, in the one who operates an infant. That's what Paul is saying. Right? In fact, if you read the, the, the Gospels, uh, uh, the 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14, it, Paul alludes to the fact that the absence of love invalidates the expression of any gift in the Spirit. I have no right, let's say I have the gift of prophecy, and I'll prophesy to you in the front Lillian. So I have the gift of prophecy, I must edify, exhort and comfort, what the Bible says. He who prophesies must edify, exhort, and comfort. So I seek to do that. I have no validation, no authority to minister to you if I don't love you. That goes for all ministry. Not so. Right? So you, you, you can even give without loving. Paul says, though I give my body to be burned, and I have not love, I am. So you don't look at the act to make, a, you conclude, you make a judgment on the spiritual status of the person. I mean, which of you, if I'm about to be executed, and Shannon picks up his hands, no, I'll go in his place. Won't you marvel at him? Say, wow, what a man. But well, the Bible says not necessarily the case. 
He can even give his body to be burned. But if the act is not motivated by love, it says he is nothing. You must think of the word in the Greek. It literally means no uh, representation, no accord, no regard is given to you by God. Any action not prompted by love renders the action invalid with no authority in the heavens. Men might regard it on the earth, but God says from my perspective, I don't recognize it. So what you should focus on for all your actions. Let everything be prompted by love. Now, let me just read this one. I'm getting carried away here. All right? Listen carefully. The absence of love invalidates any function of the gifts in the spirit, no matter how, no matter how powerful and skillful. The gift of prophecy alluded to in the passage above functions in part. Paul says we prophesy in part. We understand in part. In other words, we don't do it fully or completely. But love is the more perfect way that does away with the partial. Think about what Paul is saying. This is not to suggest that prophecy or any other gift expression is rendered null and void, but rather when these are motivated by and marinated in divine love, then the limitation of seeing in part associated with that gift expression is removed by love. There will also come a time, obviously, when all gifts will cease, but love will always remain. Can you understand this? So think what Paul is saying. Let me just paraphrase that passage. Paul is saying, I know in part, I prophesy in part. Hold that thought. I get, what, so gifts, uses prophecy as an example. Gifts are always in part. Knowledge is always in part. It's partial. I know in part, I prophesy in part. Then he makes a statement. But when the perfect comes, that which is in part shall be done away with. And then he says the perfect is love, which will never pass away. Faith, hope, there abides, love for, love forever. So love, listen carefully, is the more perfect expression above gift-centered Christianity. Because a large sect of the church now is largely gift-centered. What gifts do you have? What's your operation? What do you do? What are your callings are in the spirit, etc. Paul is saying literally, if you understand this, to its most logical end, because it says where their prophecies, they will cease. If you can, I would, if I were for you, I'll put your money on the thing that's going to endure. I'll put my energy. Yes, I will always focus on developing my skills in my gift. Paul said to Timothy, not, don't ignore your, your gift. Fan it into flame. Yes, these are endowments and graces that God has given to us. But Paul is saying, if you want to prioritize something a prioritize love because even in your gift expression when it's bathed in love love which is the perfect that knows no in part will come to a segment that is operating in part and cover its partiality right love is he says it's the more remember he says desire the and covered earnestly the Best gifts, comma, but I show you a more excellent way. Why am I saying all of this, right? In Paul's mind, yeah, it's a challenge to all of us. Paul equates the expression even of, prof of proficiency and skill in spiritual giftedness 
as childish Nepios. You were impressed by those things. You're impressed by something childish. What Paul says, what I'm after, is to see, and what is love? Love is the expression of the divine nature of God in a man. I'm more impressed by your love than by your grace gifting. If anything. Thomas said this consistently to us. He said it again at our son's fellowship. He said, if this house is going to be known for anything globally, it must be known for how we love too much. If we have a strength, it must be because we love too much. If we have a weakness, it must be because we don't know when to stop loving. That's what he said to us. I'll prove to you. You can read it. But when I speak to you again, you can read it throughout all the notes. Do you know what appears as a recurrent thread throughout each stage of sonship? The requirement to love all men as the greater. So you want to, who wants to fast track without even having heard the, the, the fullness? You want to go straight to yours. I will encourage you. Here's one clue. Here's one key. Learn. Perfect. Divine love within you. I'm telling you, it's the button you press fast forward to coming into the fullness of the stature of God. Our Father is a, is a Father of, of great love. Amen? Great love. Let me read the last part there. The Nepia son is focused on being used by God in terms of gifting and enablement without having developed a sincere love for and understanding of the strong relational dynamic of the body of Christ. Development of and in divine love is a sure sign of maturity in Christ. Hmm? The Nepia son only wants to become proficient in his calling, his grace, in his gifting without focusing on divine love. By the time you get to you, I still God describes one of the expressions of you, yours. He says, this guy loves even his enemies. And for this you show, he says, Luke and Matthew says, you show that you are indeed sons of your father. Okay? So I pray, brethren. You see, all this has much to do with your authority as a son. And the accessing of your inheritance in him. Amen? Hallelujah.